All right, hello. Hello. Anyway. Hey, uh, you can probably feel the anticipation in the room because Friday is the beloved's banquet, right? It just... So in regards to that, uh, what we like to do, of course, on the Wednesday before a Friday event uh, is uh, get some help from the guys, especially in stacking the chairs and setting up the tables. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to do something different on the nights that we do that, and so uh, I want to give you the new order of things. Uh, we're trying to protect children from death, uh, and so... So, because uh, it, it gets kind of chaotic. So here's what we're going to do on those particular nights, like tonight, which happens four or five times a year, at 8.40, which is 10 minutes past 8.30, 8.40, uh, we need everybody who's not helping, in, and especially children, to clear the room, okay? And then whoever wants to help, you're in here to help, and, and we're going to handle it that way. So, uh, so at 8.40, which still gives you... You know, 25 minutes in here to fellowship, the cafe will stay open, the bookstore is open, the courtyard is open. Uh, we're not kicking you out on those nights, but we, uh, it was kind of chaotic a couple of weeks ago. Uh, nobody got hurt, but it was just a miracle, uh, you know, because it, 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 we really, for a safety sake, we do need to keep the kids out of here. And uh, so 8.40 tonight. Uh, is when we start, not before, not after, and, and so uh, that'll be kind of the new regimen until we come up with something better. Does that make sense? That makes sense to me. You know, I'll even get out of the way because I'm usually the one most in the way. So anyway, um, all right, good to be with you. We are in Ezekiel chapter 13, as Gino said, looking at verses 17 through 23, study that we're calling Black Magic Women uh, for some... Uh, I had another title, but I can't use it, uh, copyright infringement. But anyway, uh, we'll see why in just a minute, obviously. Some time ago, I was called upon by the Lemoore Police Department as their chaplain to give aid to a young woman and her baby, uh, and her story was really fascinating to me. While still a young teenager, she'd been given in marriage to a man through an arrangement made by both sets of parents. The family she married into turned out to be more oppressive than anyone would have thought. After the wedding, they cut all ties with her family and they literally disappeared. Years passed. She had never once been left alone by her husband or a member of his family. They all traveled and lived together. And she desperately wanted to get away from them and back to her own family. She essentially was a prisoner of, of these individuals. On this particular evening, because she had been ill, they felt comfortable leaving her and her baby while they went gambling at the palace. Uh, and she, she seized the opportunity to escape, calling the police to see if they could arrange transportation to Southern California, uh, and we did. While interviewing her, she told me she, her family, and her husband's family were all gypsies. Now, before you laugh... Let me tell you that gypsies do exist. This is kind of an ongoing uh, joke in our family because uh, a few years ago, everybody likes to do people watching, right? And so a few years ago at Disneyland, I said to Pam, I said, hey, look, a bunch of gypsies. And she thought, 
you must, what are you, crazy? I go, no, they're gypsies. And so now, uh, you know, I seem to be the only one that can actually recognize real gypsies. Everybody else is always picking out these people. But uh, so, and I talk to people and they say, well, what are you talking about? You know, the Cher song, Gypsies, Tramps and Thieves. No, there's real gypsies. Uh, technically, they're descended from the Romani people that arrived in Europe in migrations from northern India around the 14th century. Now they also live in North America and Australia. Many gypsy groups have preserved elements of their traditional culture, including an itinerant existence and the Romani language. Travelers is a wider term for groups of people with a nomadic lifestyle, traditionally including but not restricted to the Romani. The Irish travelers and Scottish travelers are often included under the term gypsies, but they're more properly travelers. Uh, in Central and Western Europe, the Yenich are known as gypsies, although they are not considered part of the Romani people. Similarly, there are indigenous Norwegian travelers, which are also unrelated to the Romani. And so there are actually huge gypsy populations in many cultures of the world. The girl I was dealing with was from a family of gypsies, but they said they were, she described her family as good gypsies, law-abiding gypsies. Uh, they still were itinerant, they flew under the radar kind of a thing, you know, no taxes, but, but they were good gypsies. They, they didn't rob people and, and do strange things that, you know, gypsies, there's a lot of gypsy lore out there, you know, gypsies I think are myth, mythically gypsies steal children. So be careful. But anyway, I was praying all day that no gypsies came tonight, you know, but no, I'm just kidding. Anyway, uh, as opposed to the bad gypsies that had fooled her parents into letting her be wed to uh, that individual. I asked her how they supported themselves uh, because, uh, you know, it just was interesting to me. She said odd jobs mostly, but then she told me that she would often tell fortunes by reading palms. Whenever they needed just quick cash, she said she would go into the bars around Hanford or Lemoore and just uh, offer to read palms. And then she said she, gets, she said she knows it's phony, but she was pretty good at it. And she could, uh, she could you know, usually uh, put on a pretty good show. According to one article I read, and I quote, gypsies have long made their living as fortune tellers. The first law against gypsies in England in 1530 condemns their, quote, great, subtle, and crafty means of deceiving people through palmistry. Uh, and then in 1620, a guy named John Melton noted in his Astrologaster magazine uh, how figure casters, drawers of horoscopes, would appear in the villages in the likeness of gypsies that they might be thought to come of the issue of that sunburnt generation, they with herbs and plants would discolor their faces and then for bread, beer, bacon, cheese, but especially money, would undertake to tell poor maidservants their fortunes. <laughs> so, a uh, much easier time, I guess. Uh, although if the economy continues to sputter, I'll take cheese any day. Maybe, you know, instead of gold, maybe we should get cheddar cheese, blocks of giant cheddar. Anyway, our passage in Ezekiel reminded me of my encounter with that young gypsy fortune teller because we encounter a group of women who are false prophetesses. While Israel was plagued with false prophets who spoke openly and publicly, there was also a network of false prophetesses uh, at work behind the scenes in private. 
While the prophets employed the more traditional method of saying that they just spoke for the Lord, these ladies were more involved in the occult, magic, divination, and sorcery. And so in verse 17, Likewise, son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy out of their own heart, prophesy against them. Uh, as we'll see, he's going to be talking about the daughters, the women, the prophetesses. Women held a higher place in Israel than among other nations of the world. While there were no priestesses, the nation had known the prophetic ministries of ladies like Miriam and Deborah and Huldah. Miriam was the sister of Moses and Aaron. She's called a prophetess in Exodus 15:20. She led the song of triumph after the Israelites escaped safely through the Red Sea. Deborah served Israel as a judge in the time of the judges. And Huldah is also called a prophetess. She was consulted regarding the book of the law discovered by the high priest Hilkiah. Uh, it's recorded in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. Ladies and men, for that matter, we need to learn to think in terms of roles. Men and women are equal in God's eyes in terms of spirituality. And for the most part, I'll tell you a secret, ladies, you're more spiritual than most men. I mean, it just, it just falls out that way. Uh, and, and that's why a few years ago the Promise Keepers movement was so profoundly impacting in, 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 in gaining people's attention because it, uh, it pointed to the fact that, hey, men need to step up and, and you know, take uh, the, the reins, as it were, of spirituality. So, but anyway, so men and women, they're equal as far as God is, uh, God is concerned in terms of spirituality. We see in the New Testament that women served in the church. They prayed publicly and they could prophesy if they were so gifted. But in some ways you are limited, not spiritually, but in terms of proper roles. For example, women can teach other women and children, but they're not to have authority over men. Thus, you cannot justify biblically that a woman can be an elder or a pastor. It's not a matter of spirituality. It's a matter of order that God has established in His church and for the home. If we learn to think in terms of roles and of God's proper order, it will keep us on track. And so all the discussion you know, uh, in society about the... Um, women and spirituality and female pastors and uh, women leadership and all of this, uh, it, it has nothing to do, it's usually argued on the basis of spirituality, that this woman is just as qualified and just as gifted and all of that. And we would say, hey, that's great, that's fine. But God is talking in terms of role and order. And he said, Jesus is the head of the church. And then here's how it falls out under Jesus Christ. Uh, and everybody has their proper role and responsibility. And that's, that's what we're to think in terms of. Uh, and I think it will help. I think it will set people free to think, oh, this isn't about who's more spiritual or who's more gifted or anything like that. This is about obeying God and about fitting into the proper role that he has. And so when God says certain things in the, in the, you know, the word about women and the role of men and all of that, he really means it. it it's not cultural. Uh, there are many things that are unique to culture, but uh, these things are not. They're timeless principles for the church. And so think in terms of roles. It won't hold you back spiritually. It'll just keep you on track. And so in verse 18, say, Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the women who sew magic charms on their sleeves and make veils for the heads of people of every height to hunt souls. Will you hunt the souls of my people and keep yourselves alive? Think of a charm as 
sort of the opposite of a curse. These were some type of objects believed to be charmed and thus have magical powers that were sewed into their garment. And they made veils that were customized for their particular height. This sounds like the type of veil attached to a long garment. You've probably seen this depicted in film whenever some sorceress comes on the scene with a long flowing garment draped all around her head and face and body. Uh, That's all they're saying is that basically this was a uniform that identified these women to the general public. So when you're out walking around in Jerusalem uh, and you looked over there and you saw this gal all draped and covered, you know, with veils and, and all and then stuff sewn into her garment, you'd say that that's a prophetess or, uh, you know, we would say a sorceress. God considered their activity the hunting of souls. I like that. Hunting... Uh, I don't, I'm not a hunter myself, but I'm around uh, hunters. Hunting is something that usually works out better for the hunter than for the hunted. At least that's the, that's the goal, usually. Uh, you're, you're usually better off being the hunter than the hunted. And so here the Lord says these are hunting for souls. And, and that should scare us a little bit. Magic charms, Ouija boards, tarot cards, tea leaves, reading palms... It can seem harmless or like a parlor game. Uh, I, I admit to playing with a Ouija board when I was a, a kid. I can, I can, it was the first time I ever did it. It was over at Steve Kassler's house. Uh, he, was, he was a good friend of mine. He and I got into a lot of trouble together. And uh, somehow they whipped out the Ouija or Ouija. Do you say Ouija? I say Ouija. But uh, I, I forget. The, you know, so, some people say Ouija, uh, you know. Uh, you're deeper into the occult than I ever was, but anyway, uh, and so you know, I, I and so you know, that's as deep into all that kind of stuff as I got. And it was just weird, but uh, it seems harmless. Uh, even the TV psychic hotline, some of them now have an asterisk telling you it's for entertainment purposes, uh, and, and uh, interesting. So is it harmful? Well, yes, it is, because at best you're repeatedly warned in God's word to avoid these things, and at worst they really can become gateways to the occult. A lot of people will tell you that some of these harmless practices became a draw for them to get deeper into uh, some things that are actually uh, you know, very much a part of the occult. There is a supernatural realm inhabited by demons who are trying to deceive and destroy. While those in the occult teach that you can learn to control powerful spiritual forces... It's really demons who are drawing you away from the Lord. Uh, I mean, as a Christian, you should know this. You know that there is a, a realm all around. There's several times in the Word of God that eyes are opened and you see what's going on with angels and demons and all of this. And so the idea that you're going to be able to tap into some supernatural force and control it like a genie or something like that, it's just ridiculous. Uh, and what happens is demons, I think, are accommodating. They think, okay, if you, want us, if you want to think that you're controlling us, then that's fine. We'll let you think that for a while, and then we'll destroy your life. Uh, and, uh, you know, so fine. You know, whatever it takes, they don't mind. Uh, and so this kind of stuff, it can be uh, very dangerous. I'm told by historians that the early church used to have as a part of their baptismal formula, I renounce the works of the devil and that those becoming Christians were required to destroy idols and charms and magic books that they owned. You might remember the episode in Acts chapter 19, 
when those who had been dabbling with the occult came forward and burned their books. One of my favorite stories, some guys tried to cast out a demon who weren't Christians, and the demon's like, well, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you guys? And he tore those guys up. And when people saw that, they thought, there's a real spiritual realm and we don't want to have anything to do with it. We want to be protected and safe with Jesus. And so they came out and they burned millions of dollars worth of these occultic books. Uh, And so, uh, you know, we don't want to be dabbling with this stuff. People say to me, I went and had my fortune told and everything the lady said was right on. Well, that shouldn't surprise you. I think sometimes as Christians we immediately say, well, that's that's all fake, that's not true. Well, no, sometimes they, they give you true information. Think of it. Demons, even though fallen, they're super intelligent beings. They're smart. And they know a lot about your past if they've been hanging around you for a while. You know, I mean, it, it wouldn't be hard if they don't have to Google you. I mean, they've been around. You know, there's probably records of all kinds of things in your past. I mean, you're a target of the enemy. And so they know a lot about your past. They know that Aunt, you know, Philomena died. Uh, and that this happened and that that happened. And so that's nothing. And I think if you're, if you're super intelligent enough, you can even mildly predict the future. Not even 100%. But, you know, nobody ever predicts 100% anyway. Gene Dixon, all these psychics, you know, John Edwards, whoever they are, they're never 100%, but they say a few things and you think, okay, well, that makes enough sense to, I'm going to follow that. I could see where you'd make a few mistakes. I mean, after all, you're not God, you know, you're just a psychic. Uh, And so, uh, you know, it shouldn't surprise us that they would say things that are true. Here's what you need to know. It's one of my favorite passages for dealing with this. It's from Deuteronomy 13. I'll just read it to you. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and he gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them. Don't listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him. Keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk so you shall put away the evil from your midst. Now I like that passage even though it's talking more about a prophet or a dreamer of dreams because basically it says people will come along who can prophesy or have dreams or actually do wonders, do miracles, that shouldn't shake you. What you should think about is what's their message? What, what are they saying is the source of their message and where are they leading you to? Because even if they are doing what appear to be genuine miracles, signs and wonders, but if their message is not the message of the Bible, then they need to be killed uh, in the Old Testament and you need to not follow them. I added that Old Testament thing. I don't want to get in trouble. There's enough hate speech as it is. But anyway, uh, listening online and the pastor said to kill John Edwards. And I took him at his word. The Bible says so. But anyway, you know, I, I didn't, didn't say that. No one said that. Oh, anyway. 
So I love that. So, so yeah, I mean, we need to step up. If you're just a regular, normal Christian. When people share with you, I was abducted by an alien or, you know, I, I went to a fortune teller and they told me everything. Okay, I believe you. Let's say that happened. There may be an explanation for it, but let's say it happened. What's the message? What's the source? Where is it leading you? Because it's a test uh, to see who you're going to follow. Now, the practices of these kind of people, they're not mere distractions or entertainments. They are seductions away from the living God. Back in the mid-80s, Dave Hunt wrote The Seduction of Christianity. Great book. It's a Christian classic. But as important as its content, the title is a warning that you are always being hunted by someone or something to distract you from God's truth, to get you to embrace a lie, to fall into what God would consider spiritual adultery. Let me say it again. You are being hunted by sinister supernatural hunters whose traps and weaponry sometimes mimic the things of the Lord. People ask, can I go see this movie? Can I participate in that practice? This thing has occult roots, but I don't do it you know, for the occult part of it. Uh, you know, is that okay? The answers to those kinds of questions are in 1 Corinthians in the passages regarding Christian liberty. We spent, if you'll remember, weeks going over those issues and answers. Uh, and we brought some clarity, I hope, to that. You can uh, go online and read the transcripts or get the tapes. I would add to those principles this insight from Ezekiel. You might think it's okay. You might even be entertained by it. And it might be a liberty for you. That's fine. But you might be being hunted by sinister forces. In fact, you are their prey, and the best way to avoid being seduced is to not walk into the trap. Uh, I mean, if you know ahead of time that there's a trap set for you uh, and you're going to have a problem, don't go into it. And so, so, sure, you have liberty to do a bunch of different things. You know, people ask me about books and novels and movies and, you know, all kinds of things. And, and, and the answer to that is, you know, some, is never... You know, well, sometimes it's black and white, but a lot of times it's in this gray area that we talked about. But add to that that, okay, yes, you have liberty, but is this a hunting expedition you're going on? And are you the hunter or the hunted in this? If you're being hunted, you don't need to give, uh, you know, help to the hunter. Uh, You know, the deer, when you guys go deer hunting or whatever it is you hunt, I mean, you know, they don't usually help you very much. You know, they don't whistle, right? I'm over here. Come over here. I want to be shot. You know, they just, you know, they're pretty sly. They, they, you know, they're, a lot of guys will tell me, you know, in certain places. Well, I remember uh, abalone uh, became a protected species, right? In Cal- and, and at one time there was a place off the coast where you could still get abalone, but there was a dividing line and all the abalone were strangely on the safe side of things, you know. I mean, ab- even abalone are not stupid, you know, so... So uh, don't be dumb, you know. I mean, if you're up in a blind and a deer walks right in, you're going to think, well, what's wrong with this deer? This, I'm, I'm going to have mad deer disease if I eat this deer. This deer is crazy. This must be some alien in disguise. I mean, rarely does, you know, does that happen, I would guess. Uh, anyway, so don't be a dumb deer. You know, when it comes, oh, yep, some demonic activity over there, let's go. You know, just be careful because you're being hunted. God asked the sorceresses, will you hunt the souls of my people and keep yourselves alive? It was his way of telling them they would soon become the prey. Uh, Verse 19, you will profane me among 
And will you profane me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread, killing people who should not die and keeping people alive who should not live by your lying to my people who listen to lies? The payment they received was barley and bread. It wasn't costly. And in a way, that was a shame because it made their seduction more accessible. I think we ought to make sin as inaccessible as possible, especially for our children. The easier it is to sin, the more I can deceive myself that I simply fell into it. If I have to pursue it, then I'm more likely to hear and heed warnings of God's Spirit along the way. Uh, I mean, one thing, I've, I've said this before, but one thing that technology has done for us as a modern society, it's made sin a lot more accessible to a lot more people. I read these stories about how because of the First Amendment they can't block certain content in public libraries you know, and so, or schools and so your kids are subject to all this crazy stuff on the Internet. It's really a better idea to make things hard. Uh, it's, it's better to make it hard to sin because the harder it is, the more obstacles you have to get through and walls you have to climb. You finally are saying, hey, I'm really trying hard to sin. I'm, I'm always reminded of Aaron in the Old Testament when Moses came down and said, what, what have you done? He goes, well, uh, I threw a bunch of gold in the fire and it came out as an idol. And, and that's a lot of what people do. Is you get caught and say, well, I, I didn't do that. It just happened that way. And so, but if you can establish, well, no, that could not have happened except for this chain of events. I mean, you, you had to really go out of your way to, to be caught over here doing that then at least you're, you have a, a fighting chance of stopping along the way. And so let's make sin as inaccessible as possible. Now, their sorcery had the effect of killing people who should not die, keeping people alive who should not live. I take that to mean that they had no real insight into the future uh, lives or deaths of these people. They could give no really solid predictions. They could dazzle you for a time, but uh, they didn't really know what was going to happen. The people listened to lies seems to indicate that they knew they were being lied to, but listened to the lying anyway. The sorceresses weren't the only ones at fault. Their clients kept them in business. A while back, I remember there was a big blow up about a fortune teller wanting to establish her business. We should do all we can to block occult businesses, adult bookstores and those kinds of things. But the best way to block them is to eliminate their clientele. Preach the gospel. Hopefully, people get saved and they don't want to frequent those kinds of places. You put them out of business with the gospel. Verse 20, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against your magic charms by which you hunt souls uh, like birds. I will tear them from your arms and let all the souls go, the souls you hunt like birds. I will also tear off your veils and deliver my people out of your hand, and they shall no longer be as prey in your hand. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. In context, the sorceresses would be wiped out when the Babylonian army invaded. Reading about God's passion to deliver his people from the occult made me thankful for the men he has raised up over the years to give a direct apologetic to cults in the occult. It's not an easy ministry. I remember when we had Dave Hunt here to give a talk in Hanford, uh, an interviewer from the Christian radio station asked him, so, Dave, how does it feel to be the most hated man in Christianity? And, and it, uh, it took him back. You know, I mean, that's not, it's not the first question you're wanting to hear, you know, and stuff. And I think he said something to the effect of, I didn't realize I was the most hated man in Christianity. 
Uh, a lot of Christian bookstores back then and even now wouldn't sell his books because they were divisive. And so I, I thank the Lord that he has a passion, that the Lord has a passion to protect his people from seduction and sorcery and that he raises up others who have that passion as well. Verse 22, Because with lies you have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad, and you have strengthened the hands of the wicked so that he does not turn from his wicked ways to save his life. Are you sad? I think we should be. God hasn't made us sad. The world and its lies make us sad. Instead of promoting biblical morality and biblical ethics that are good and healthy and wholesome for people, the world promotes lies. Sex before and without marriage is good, it lies. There is no absolute truth, it lies. Every situation, the end justifies the means. I mean, the world is full of lies. Uh, and it keeps thinking that well, I don't know what the world thinks, I mean, as far as they're world conscious, but it keeps lying and lying and lying, and then we look at the result of it. Uh, the thing that gets me the most is for how many years they've been saying that all you need is more education on every subject. The more you know. You know that ad campaign? The more you know. So once you know everything that you need to know, then... There aren't going to be any more unwanted pregnancies and there aren't going to be any more uh, you know, sexually transmitted diseases and nobody's going to get AIDS if you just have the education that you need. Keep doing all the immoral activities you want because we don't care about biblical morality. That's some crazy talk from the Stone Age. You know, Somebody made that up. This is what you want to be doing. You want to, you know, let's see how young we can, you know, teach sex ed to kids and all of that. And, and the more they know, boy, we're going to have a great society one day, aren't we? Because we're going to be filled with education and there's not going to be any disease or any problems at all. That's not working. I don't know that we've ever known more than we know right now. Has there ever been a time in history that we knew more? And yet they're still on that kick. It's like, well, they must not, they still must not know. Even though we're telling them. And they must not know at a young enough age. That's it. That's the ticket. We're telling them too old. And those crazy Christians with their abstinence programs are getting in the way. What? What? There's some research that says abstinence works? What? That can't be true. Just ignore that. I know it's valid research, but it's invalidated by the fact that we just don't believe it. Uh, and, and it's crazy. So this is, this is what Ezekiel says. He says, that makes me sad. It makes me sad that people could be told the truth and have wonderful lives, have, have solid families and all of those things, but instead they believe the lies. And the lies creep into the Christian community as well and undermine and destroy the Christians uh, because we're, we're susceptible to that. There's a real effort underway uh, to muddle the message of Bible prophecy. Look at verse 23. Uh, Therefore you shall no longer envision futility nor practice divination, for I will deliver my people out of your hand, and you shall know I am the Lord. And so there's this effort to undermine biblical prophecy. Critics of the Bible are talking openly about the rapture, the Antichrist, the tribulation, Armageddon, the second coming. I, see these, I hear these things on the TV and I go in there and I, I say, is this, you know, is this PTL? Is this Paul and Jan Crouch? No, it's the History Channel. And they've got this guy that, look, here's the Antichrist, he the Antichrist, and stuff. And, but what they're doing is then they talk about Nostradamus and the Hopi Indians and, and the, uh, the Mayan prophets, and they lump it all together as just kind of general spiritual mumbo-jumbo. So 
Maybe there's something going on. Maybe there isn't. We'll, we'll be okay in the end. Aliens will come and get us. They'll repo- you know, even if the earth is going to be destroyed, they'll be, we'll get off in, in ships uh, you know, and, and go to Mars. And, and you know, somehow the human race will go on. Uh, and so we have all of this going on. And so there's all of this false prophesying really going on. And they're trying to make the Bible seem like a false prophecy as well, or at least not an absolutely true prophecy. And this idea that there, oh, there's always been prophets, there's always been psychics, there's always been people who saw the future, and sometimes it kind of comes true. And, but a lot of it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy, and so let's not go there. Let's, you know, let's not... Let's not create the Antichrist. Let's not have a tribulation. How's that? We'll just not... Who wants to not have the tribulation? Raise your hand, you know, kind of a thing. And, and maybe we can, you know, save the human race. Uh, there's just a lot of weird stuff going on. It's worse, though, when believers willfully adopt occult practices and give them Christian names. And so we need to be careful about that. And so just be careful in general... We are being hunted. It's not, it need not frighten us, but it ought to heighten our awareness. Uh, you know, I, I don't think we need to be afraid. The Bible says uh, you know, the devil's like a roaring lion seeking whom he will devour, but he can't do anything. He's been described as a lion without any teeth. Uh, in our passage in Corinthians this week, Paul is going to talk about death losing its, its sting. And the picture he portrays is of a poisonous snake, like from the garden, but with no fangs anymore, and it just gums you, you know, kind of a massage, you know, instead of, a, I mean, uh, back when I lived in San Bernardino, there were rattlesnakes all the time. We, and I don't know, I think my brothers were trying to kill me because we always had wood piles in the weirdest places, you know, and stuff. And one time, luckily it was winter time which down there was like 70 degrees. But, you know, it was, it was winter as far as the snakes were. And I hit my, my, my uh, ball, you know, I was playing baseball, and it went into the wood pile and I grabbed it and there was a rattlesnake coiled up right there, you know. And I was, oh, you know. So then the great hunters came out and shot it, you know, 1,800 times with a 22 and stuff, you know. And uh, so, you know, rattlesnakes, they were sidewinders and rattlesnakes. It was a daily... You know, it's a, it's a wonder I lived. But anyway, uh, crazy stuff in the foothills there. But, uh, you know, it, you, you wouldn't worry about a snake that had no fangs or poison. And that's what Paul says. He goes, from a Christian point of view, there's no, there isn't any poison. There's, there's no bite to it. Uh, and, and yet we have to be careful, don't we, not to, you know... I mean, sometimes I think, if you read these books like Seduction of Christianity, it's like, the, it's like the devil is saying, hey, come over here. You're doing fine in the church, but hey, look at what I've got. I've got some sorcery over here. I've got some divination for you over here. And you're like, okay, wow, that sounds good, you know. I'll even pay money for it. And so the next thing you know, you're just, you know, you're getting beat up by the devil. Uh, and so let's be careful, uh, stay on track, and uh, not turn into... Uh, Well, we are the prey, but we don't need to be caught. Amen? Amen.